Bibles with me, if you would, to 1 John. We're going to get back into 1 John chapter 2. And uh, we had kind of stopped off last Sunday talking about the new commandment that Jesus said, I've given unto you. And uh, at first he said, it's an old commandment. I'm not giving you. And then he said, I give you a new commandment. So how do you kind of balance those two together? Well, all the way through Scripture, if you read the Old Testament, even if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first half of the Ten Commandments deal with our devotion and our commitment and our loyalty to God, loving Him. And the second half of the Ten Commandments deal with how we relate with one another. And it, it kind of begins a, a sense of understanding that the, and this is very important, the health of our relationship with God is the, the most accurate way to gauge it is by your relationship with others. Ooh, that, I didn't expect any amens on that one, but that's even less than I expected. The health of your relationship with God is most accurately gauged by the health of your relationships with others. So the health of your relationship with God, as important as our time in, in congregational worship is, the health of your relationship with God is not gauged by the singing and the hand-raising and the dancing and the shouting, as important as that is. Nothing wrong with that. We need to do that. But that's not really the most accurate gauge of the health of your relationship with God. The health of your relationship with God is not even most accurately gauged in the ministries that you're involved in or the service that you do or the Bible study that you do or, the, or, or even in some sense of the word, the commitments that you make and the morality that you... The, the health of your relationship with God, according to God, is most accurately gauged by your relationship with other people. And he's not just talking about the people that you like. And the people that you get along with. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you've heard it said unto you, love those who are close. I'm telling you, love your enemies. It, he said, anybody can love people who love them back. Jesus said, if you just love people who love you back, love people that you get along with, love people that fit your personality style, love people that like the same things you like and go the same places you go and do the same things you do, he said, you've done nothing. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus at all does those very same things because it's easy. It, isn't a, it has no resistance to the path. But he said, I'm telling you, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to invite people over who you know will never pay you back, never going to invite you back over. I want you to start getting along with people who prick your personality. I want you to start start reaching out to people that don't nat naturally fit the way you fit. I want you to love people that without the supernatural power of God, you could not love and when you start loving people that you know you could never love without God, then you know that your relationship with God is healthy. All the way from the Old Testament, he said, love me and love others. Now, it's a new commandment in the sense that even though that had always been the commandment, the Jews never got it. They never understood it. And the way they tried to gauge their relationship with God was on how accurately they kept the laws. Well, did we do this right? Did we do that right? Did we do this right? Did we do that right? Did we make this sacrifice at the right time? And did we go to the right place? And did we not do that when it said we shouldn't do that? And listen, there are Christians all over America today that gauge their relationship with God on the things they do and do not do in comparison to what people out in the world do and do not do or people in the church do and not, do not do. Listen, if you want to tell me today, and if I, I, I want to brag to you the fact that, hey man, bless the Lord, I don't go out and do this, 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 and this, and name the most outlandish sin you can name. Don't expect my mouth to drop to the floor. I don't expect you to go out and do this, 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 and this. But you see, God doesn't gauge sin on those gauges. Get ready, you're going to love this sermon today. Pull your feet in just a little bit. They'll be more comfortable unless you just like for your toes to get walked on. Understand, but, but listen, this is about your spiritual health. Okay, there's a lot of times that, that I may not want to, to go find out what I might have going on. But if I really want to be healthy, sometimes you got to go and just sit down and find out what is going on. And in order to have spiritual health, we have to understand that God doesn't look at things the way we look at things. Whenever you look at, even in the New Testament, the list of sins, one particular place I'll mention is Romans chapter 1. 
If you go read Romans chapter 1, there's a list of some sins. It talks in, in that list, it talks about haters of God and murderers. How many of you are glad, praise God, that you don't fit that list? Hallelujah. I am not a hater of God, and I am not a murderer. Bless God, I'm glad he left me out of that list. You might want to go read that list. Those are just two. He also talks about whisperers and backbiters. Well, I'm not a backbiter. Oh, yeah? You ever talked about anybody behind their back? That's a backbiter. Whisper, hey, I tell you what, could not believe. Here's what I really think. Do you know that you fit the list with a murderer and a hater of God? Do you know that the Bible says one of the things God absolutely hates the most is somebody who sows discord among the brethren? He says when somebody will go in the midst of the family of God and sow little poisonous seeds that will begin to separate the church and separate... God says that's one of the sins he hates the most. Now, now please understand, I'm not trying to undervalue the destructive power of sins that we all think of as sins. What I'm trying to do is make you understand that our health... with We can many times go along with spiritual disease eating us up. Because we don't realize how God gauges our spiritual health. We think that as long as I'm not doing this, 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 and this, and this, and this, then I'm healthy. Or as long as I'm doing this, 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 and this, and this, then I'm healthy. We gauge our health with God by the ministry that we do and the service that we do and how we come to church and how we fast and how we study the Word of God and how we worship and how we sing. And how and God said, No! He said, I'm giving you a new commandment. I want you to love one another. Jesus made it so simple that he said, the world looks for one thing that identifies you as a Christian. They're not looking at our buildings. They could care less. The greatest, as a matter of fact, one of the greatest Movements of the Holy Spirit, one of, that I've ever experienced, one of the greatest services I've ever been in in my entire life was in a little bitty old white wooded church in the middle of Trigg County. I could never find it again if I tried. Had nothing to do with the building. It had to do with the people on fire. It had to do with the people that would gather almost two hours early to pray and seek God. I didn't say come early to eat. I didn't say come early to, to, to sing or have the band play. I said come early to do what nobody wants to do. Intercede and pray and seek the face of God. The men were there. The women were there. The teenagers, they were seeking God. They were crying out. The minute you walked on the property and got close to the building, you could feel the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. It radiated. You could feel it when you got in the room. The, the church was jam-packed. You literally had to work to try to find a place to sit in that little old country church and the Holy Ghost was moving. People were getting saved. People were getting delivered. People were getting set free all in the middle of nowhere. But they had found out that people loved them there. They loved them just like they were. They didn't say, if you, well, I'll, I'll love you, but you got to straighten that out, do that, fix this, do that, do that over here. When you get this thing up, dress this way, do that that way, and go over here and do this this way, and you got to talk this way, and this is the music you have to like, and the, this is, these are the books you got to read. And, we, and if you do all that right, then I'll love you with no reservation. No, they just loved people. They loved people, and they let Jesus Oh, novel, amazing thought. They loved people and they let Jesus change them. They loved people and they let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit could do. They stopped trying to be God and they let God be God and people were almost literally busting at the doors to try to get in. Jesus said, this is the commandment I'm giving you. Love one another. The gauge of your spiritual health is how well you love. Matter of fact, you can gauge how well you love God by how well you love others. 
I just don't believe that, Pastor. Well, let's see what he says. 1 John chapter 2, back in verse 8. I give, again, I give you a new commandment. I write to you which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He who loves his brother abides, lives in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Remember, and I hate to keep coming back to this verse, but they're two of them, they're the great commandment. Jesus told a scribe who asked him, he said, what's the greatest commandment? Now, Jesus could have said anything he wanted to say now. He could have waxed bold on, a, on, on tithing. He could have talked about sacrifices. He could have talked about the, the synagogue, the temple. He could have talked about uh, uh, prayer. He could have talked about anything he wanted to talk about, which is all the things we would talk about. But Jesus said, here it is, guys. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself on these two, not 20, not five, not even three. On these two, turn and hinge all of the law, all of the prophets, everything you've ever known, everything you've ever cared about, everything you've ever heard about, this, if you'll get this right, everything else will start working. The opposite is true. Until you get that right, you can shout, you can sing, you can praise, you can dance, you can intercede, you can pray, you can fast, you can read, you can study the books, you can do ministry, you can witness, you can, do, you can give, you can tithe. Until you get those two things right, nothing else works right. I still don't believe that, Pastor. Galatians says this, that circumcision avails nothing. Uncircumcision avails nothing. Now, that means nothing to us, but to the Jew, that, that was your entry into the covenant. It was your entry into the family of believers. It was the covenant right. You, we would consider baptism kind of the same type of thing. But he said none of that amounts to anything. The only thing that matters is faith Working through love. That's it. That's all that matters. And on Wednesday night, a few weeks ago, we were studying that, and we talked about how the fact, if we let love lead us, instead of anything else, if we start letting love lead us, then it will cause us to begin to work in areas where love leads us. And when we start becoming active in areas where love leads us, faith takes hold and miracles happen. But if we only focus on what, my, what I feel, what I think, what I believe, what my faith is, and we're not thinking about love, then faith will not produce what God intended. Now the Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So it's very important that our faith is productive. But it will only be productive if it works through love. Jesus said through the Apostle John that there are a lot of believers who lie to themselves. Because he says, if we say we love God, but we hate our brother, if we say we're living in the light, but we hate our brother, then we're living in the darkness even up to this moment. So we've got to find a way to gauge our spiritual health that's based on God's criteria instead of the church's criteria or religion's criteria. Here's the, why is that so important? See, here's the thing. A lot of myself, you, we may never notice any difference with anybody. Somebody we could see and meet, we'd think, boy, that's a strong Christian right there. Bless God. Man, that's a child of God, loving God, because we see a lot of outward signs, you know. You, you may see it. I, I, I may fool myself. You may come in and, boy, Lindsay's, boy, yeah, look, he's worshiping. He's singing. Yeah, he comes. He's at prayer meeting, but he's at work day. Bless the Lord, you know, he's out there doing something at work day. Not painting, by the way. I don't paint because they would have had to repaint behind me, but I did other stuff, you know. And I mean, he's there working and he fasts, you know, he does this, he does that. Boy, he's spiritual. Bless the Lord. He's spiritual and you you might think that and that's one thing but here's the real danger the real danger is i might think that too and if i have enough people to reaffirm the fact that because of all these things i'm doing i'm really spiritual then i can begin to believe a lie when i've got hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment just eating me alive inside my heart when i, I I may say that I'm in the light, but I don't really care. What if I don't really care about you? 
I do. I do. But what if I don't? What if I don't really care? You see, Jesus is saying, when we don't care, when there's no love, it doesn't matter how many of those other things we're doing. You're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. And, nothing, and here's the, what's so tragic about that. You may be a Christian. You may go to heaven, and that's fine. But here's the thing. In this life, you will never know what could have been because nothing is working right. Have you ever felt so bad that when you felt good, again, you didn't know how, how bad you felt? That you had got so used to feeling bad for so long that finally when you felt good, you just, I didn't know I felt so bad. It had become normal. Have you ever driven a car that was in such bad shape that you got so used to it that you didn't know it was in such bad shape until somebody said, if we'll fix that, it'll make it run better, and they fixed it, and all of a sudden you thought you were driving a brand new car even though it was the same car? Somebody who don't know anything about mechanics or something like me or construction in any way, sometimes I'll be trying to do something at a work day and I'll just be struggling along and having a horrible time and it's difficult and somebody who knows a little bit more about it can be hey, if you do this thing right here, it'll be a whole lot easier. It's so simple and so easy and all of a sudden you start, wow, ooh, I can do this. This is wonderful. See, the problem with not knowing how God looks at things is if you don't know how he looks at things, you're not going to seek him for change. See, if you think everything's okay, then why are you going to cry out to God? If you think, hey, I'm doing good, then why are you going to be on your face before the Lord saying, God, I need revival. God, I need change. So God gives us this gauge. And he said, the health of your relationship with me, the health of your spiritual walk, is really defined by how you love me, and the way you love me is defined by the way you love others. You know, I really wish God would have given us another gauge because I'm not always real good at this. I'm pretty good at loving people who love me back. I'm pretty good at, at getting along with people that get along with me. But see, Jesus didn't leave it there. He said, I'm telling you, if you really want to know supernatural love, you've really, you got to love the people who don't love you back. you got to get along with the people who you don't get along with so easily. That's your gauge. So he goes on and he says this, and this is important. He says in verse 11, He who hates his brother is in darkness, and he walks or lives in the darkness. And he, this is key. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You ever heard the phrase, love is blind? What do you mean when you say that about somebody? You're sitting back and you, you're seeing kids or, or, or some young person or some, maybe an adult. And, you know, they're, they're, oh, I'm in love, I'm in love. And you're looking at these, you know, things and you're saying, there's some things here you might need to pay attention to. Oh, no, everything's fine. Everything's good. Now, you've lived a little bit longer than that, and you're like, I just don't know how good this is. Only to one day wake up and say, wow. And you say, love is blind. There's something else that's blind. Not loving makes you blind. When you don't love, when you hate your brother, you walk in darkness. You live in darkness, and you can't see where you're going. Let me ask you this, and I want you to think for me. You don't have to raise your hand or respond. How many of you have seen good friendships destroyed because of offense? I have watched for almost 30 years now, and as a pastor's son, very involved for longer than that, I've watched people leave ministries because of offense. I've watched people leave churches because of offense. I've watched people walk out of friendships because of offense. I've watched people leave jobs because of good jobs because of offense. I've watched people leave marriages because of offense. We get offended and then bitterness starts seeping in. If we don't deal with that offense and that bitterness, then unforgiveness starts creeping in. When that unforgiveness is allowed to stay very long, it begins to build a stronghold in our heart, and darkness begins to cover us. The only problem is, 
you can't see it, and I can't see it if I'm walking in it. It's like you can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, We begin to see that as the new normal. We don't think anything's wrong. And what happens? We can't tell where we're going. Here's the thing. You know, the Bible says, and, and this is what I really wanted to focus on today, and I feel like this is important for someone. The Bible says that people without a vision will perish because they cast off restraint. A vision from God is what gives you focus. If you can think of the banks of a, of a river, it kind of gives that river a place to flow. When there's a flood, it means that the waters come up out of the banks, and now it goes in all kinds of places. There's no controlling where the river goes. And the Bible says that that's the way it is when somebody doesn't have a clear, focused vision from God. When we don't have a vision over our life, a calling over our life, when we don't have something from the Word of God that defines the way we live our life, then we cast off restraint. When we cast off restraint, it means we bounce here, there and everywhere. One day we're up, one day we're down. One day this is what I'm going to do, the next day this is what I'm going to do. One day I'm over here, the next day I'm over there. One day God's saying this, the next day God's saying that. And we're just here, there, and everywhere because of a lack of vision. Can I tell you something? God does not change his mind every 24 hours. Actually, the Bible says God doesn't change his mind at all. So uh, he certainly doesn't change his mind every 24 hours. He doesn't change his mind every two years. He doesn't change his mind every decade. God's not changing his mind. We are changing because many times we've allowed an offense to begin to build bitterness, to begin to build unforgiveness that causes a darkness and a stronghold over our heart. And we don't know where we're going and we're the only ones who we we can't see it over ourselves. And when that begins to happen and our vision leaves, then we begin to walk away from some of the very things that God, and this is why it's so dangerous. We don't even know what we're doing or where we're going, and we walk away from the very thing that God placed over our heart. Now, why is that tragic? Because the Bible gives us a promise in Romans 8, 28. This is for somebody. The Bible says that God works all things together for the good. And we love that verse, but many times we stop at that part of the verse, and that's not the whole verse. God does work all things together for the good to those who love him and are the called according to not your purpose, not my purpose, his purpose. So God promises that he will make everything in our life, even bad things, work together to those who hold on to their love for God and stay faithful to his purpose. However, what if I don't walk according to his purpose? What if I get blinded and can't see where I'm going? And rather than walking with vision in the purpose of God, I start walking over here. You know, God put me in this strategic place. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's a friendship. Certainly it would include your marriage. Maybe it's your church. Maybe it's a ministry. Whatever. God put me here. Everything's great until offense. Now, at the minute that offense comes, we get a choice. I either say, you know what? Jesus has forgiven me for so much. And he's called me to forgive the same way he forgave me. Therefore, I forgive. I release, I bless, I refuse to walk in offense. What happens then? I walk in love. And as I walk in love, my vision stays focused and clear and sharp. But if I don't do that and I allow offense to build, and I allow unforgiveness in, and I allow a stronghold, then darkness settles over me. And before long, I'm walking in this hatred. And we don't call it hatred. We just can't stand. I don't hate them. I just, <laughs> I don't hate them. I just can't stand to be around them. Oh, I don't hate them at all. Just don't ever mention their name to me. I don't hate them. If I see them at Walmart, I'll turn and go 10 miles out of the way to avoid them. But I don't hate them. I don't hate them. But boy, I hate it when I hear that something good happens to them. They don't deserve it. I don't hate them. That's a funny definition of hatred, isn't it? That. You hate them. I know it's uncomfortable to call it that, but that really is the definition. And, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad because we've all done that. What I'm trying to say is it's finally important we recognize that we're doing that because the person that's hurting the most is you. 
Because see, what happens is then a darkness settles in over us and, and I don't see it. I don't know where I'm going. I don't want, so now I'm here, there, everywhere. And since this offense builds, I can no longer walk in this strategic place, whether it's your job, your neighborhood, your, your marriage, your, 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 your friendships, whatever it is. So therefore, I've got to, no longer is my vision there. Now I'm, oh God, oh, and it's so neat how God changes his mind. Oh, yes, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt. Now, yesterday he said thou shalt do this, but now because I'm offended, it's so neat how God agrees with me. Isn't it neat how God agrees with you all the time? I got news for you. That didn't happen very much back here. In the Bible, that's rare. God doesn't say, hey, guys, I'm trying to find every way I can to get on your page. God says, hey, guys, come get on my page. It ain't going to work the other way. You come get on my page and it'll work. But if we get out of that and we allow that to grow and we walk in darkness, then we're blind and we cast off restraint and we've cast off restraint and we lose our vision and we're bouncing everywhere. Now what's so tragic? It, we don't stop being Christians. Okay? But watch, and God doesn't stop loving you. But what happens is faith isn't working. Not the way it was designed to. Because faith works through love. And therefore, we're here, there, and everywhere. Faith's not working. We're discouraged. Bad things happen to everybody, even those who are walking right directly in the word of, will of God. But they're not guaranteed that they're going to work together for good if I'm not being called according to his purpose. So if I'm not staying faithful and true and loving God, which means if my, my love of God is gauged by how I can love others, that means if I'm not loving people, then I'm not right. I'm not loving God right. Now, guys, I know that's uncomfortable. I understand that. But it's vital that we get it. If we can't love people right, we're not loving God right. If our love for people is unhealthy, that means our love for God is unhealthy. I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm saying that to set you free. Because if you've been looking at your life, you're saying, what in the world is going on? Why, is it, why do I keep coming to the same brick wall every time I turn around? What's going on? I feel like I'm doing everything right. I'm more involved with ministry than I've ever been. I'm praying more than I've ever prayed. I'm reading the Bible more than I've ever read the Bible. I'm tithing more than I've ever tithed. I'm going to church more than I've ever gone to church. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and nothing's working right. Are you loving people? Are you forgiving people? Are you letting offense go and letting Jesus have it? And are you staying faithful to the call of God? Because if you do, everything's going to work out. Now, I believe God today wants to speak into our hearts. See, here's the thing. I want to tell you this. I do not... Listen, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I believe in miracles, and I believe in signs and wonders, and I want to see more of them every day of my life. But I do not believe that a lack of miracles is what's keeping the world from filling our churches. Not for a second. I don't believe that a lack of signs and wonders is what's keeping the world from filling our churches. I don't believe that. I believe what's keeping people from coming to Christ is a lack of love. They can't get past us. They see our anger and our pettiness and our offenses and our bitterness and they listen to us talk to one another and about one another and then they listen to us tell them how bad they need the love of God. And they're smart enough to figure out that something's wrong. They see us judge one another and slice each other up one side and down the other. And it's an amazing thing that we judge people by their sins and not ours. If I told, oh, y'all going to love me when the day's over. If I told everybody in this room today that you cannot say one thing about any sin in anybody's life unless you're willing to judge gluttony just as bad as you do there, those other sins. <laughs> Guess what? You're going to be real quiet. So am I. What if I told you today that you can't say one thing about any sin that anybody you have ever seen committed until you say the same thing about gossip. Until you're willing to say that gossip is as much of an offense to God and a detriment to your spiritual walk as any other sin you want to name, don't say anything about any sin. How many of you would be quieter 
Don't raise your hand. Because I don't want to gossip about you later. You see, we judge people by their sins instead of ours. And the thing is, God just said, stop altogether. Stop judging people. Just stop. You don't have a right to judge one single soul on this planet. Only God has that right. And you better be careful about doing it because the Bible says the same way you judge other people is exactly the way you're going to be judged. Whatever judgment you get. And you know why you should never judge any soul on the face of this planet? Because you do not know what they're going through. You don't know their background. You don't know their life. You don't know their mindset. You don't know where they were today. You don't know what's happened. You don't know what news they got on the phone. You don't know what text they just received before they walked into the church. You don't know. And you say, well, that doesn't excuse bad behavior. No, it does not excuse bad behavior. But people stand before God for their behavior. They do not stand before me for their behavior. I'm not the judge. God is. And God is the only one smart enough. And aren't you glad? Because God is the one that gets to weed out all of my mistakes. I sure don't want to stand in the place of God. And I sure don't want you to stand in the place of God. You might be more harsh with me than I want you to be. And I might be more harsh with you. And here's the thing. God is the judge. So he just said don't do it. Here's the wonderful freeing thing. When we get this revelation I am free to love people and let God take care of everything else. I can just get to the business of being who Jesus called me to be and doing what Jesus called me to do. Now, nobody said that's easy. But man, it is freeing to let God be God. He goes on, he says this, If we hate our brother, we're walking in the darkness and our eyes have been blinded. We won't get as far as I wanted today, but I do want to get to this next little section. If you're like me, I've read over it for a lot of years and not really completely understood it. It says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. And I've written to you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the wicked one. Children... Fathers and young men. That's the order. Children, fathers, and young men. If it were me, I would have been a little bit more sequential with that. And I would have said, swam my mind worse. I would have said children, young men, and fathers. Children, young men, and fathers. But not once, but twice, he says children, fathers, and young men. Once you understand, no matter how long you've known the Lord, there are stages and seasons in your walk with God. And every stage and every season is different. But every stage and every season is important. We all begin as children. Matter of fact, Jesus said this, unless you come as a little child, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. For of such is the kingdom of God. The childhood stage is not a bad place. It's a wonderful place. Do you know what identifies and marks that childhood stage? It's precious. You're just forgiven. Praise God, I'm forgiven. Hallelujah, I'm forgiven. I am so glad to just be forgiven. I'm forgiven by my Father. Thank you, Jesus, I'm forgiven. Nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, it wouldn't hurt a lot of us to go back to that stage and remember that what got everything started and what's so important is that the blood of Jesus Christ forgives us and cleanses us from sin. But then the next stage, rather than going to young men, both times he mentions his father's. Why does he change that sequence? Do you remember a little prophecy about the ministry of John the Baptist? And by the way, before the Lord returns, it said there will be another movement like that. It says that the spirit of Elijah would come upon John the Baptist and, and he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. See, there's, there's a stage that many times we miss. A lot of times people don't grow because they never find a spiritual father. You see, when we find a spirit, and, and what, you know what marks the spiritual father? I love this. I've never seen this before. I love it. Do you know what marks spiritual maturity? And listen, I, please don't mishear what I'm saying. I love power. I love to see the power of God come. 
I wish the power of God would fall in this place every single second we're in here. I'd love to. I've seen it. I've seen times when you couldn't, I literally couldn't walk past this section of the building because the power of God was so strong. I felt like I'd fall down if I walked past that. I've seen times when I felt, I've seen the power of God. And I love the power of God. I want to see it more and more and more. But what marks maturity says nothing about power, although there's power in it. It says nothing about anything demonstrative or it says that the mark of a father of a mature believer is that they have known him who is from the beginning. And that word is filled with intimacy. Do you know what marks spiritual maturity? is how intimate you are with God. Do you know one of the best definitions of the word intimacy? I love it. Into me see. God, I just lay everything back, every layer. I just want you, all of you, so into me, see. Change anything. Transform anything. Do anything. All I want is you. The mark of spiritual maturity is intimacy with the Father who is from the beginning. Now, if the heart of a father turns to child and those who are mature in their faith start coming alongside those who are young in their faith, not to scold or to to reprimand or to condescend, but to love and to encourage and to, by a life of example of intimacy with God, give those spiritual young... I'm not talking about chronological age. You can be a spiritual baby and be 75. But show that spiritual youth what it is to walk with God and know God and love God and follow God and honor God so that their appetite is wet. And then when they begin to seek after that and they're going to stumble and fall some, they're going to make mistakes, they're going to goof up. It's not, it's, it's not will they, it's when will they because they will. To come alongside and you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and kindness considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Just coming alongside and encouraging lift them up. When you have the fathers and the mothers in God beginning to show an example that the, that the youth in God begin to long for and they begin to mentor and love and encourage and pray for and intercede and stand beside and stand behind those who are just coming to know him then what happens? Those spiritual children become young men and young women and what marks youth they are overcomers they begin to find out about the power of God and they begin and how do they do that it says in the second part by the word of God they begin to know the word of God and the more they know the word of God the more they walk in the power of God and they start finding out hey not only am I forgiven thank God I'm forgiven but I can also overcome I'm an overcomer in Jesus through the word of God but the goal oh my goodness Man, this is something when we think about it. See, this is not our goal. Our goal is the second stage. Most Christians want to stop right there. My sins are forgiven and I'm an overcomer. Bless God. That's it. Woo! That's all I ever wanted. Praise God, my sins are forgiven and I'm overcoming. Praise God, my sins are forgiven and I got power. Praise God, my sins are forgiven and I'm free. Pray. No, 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 no. You're not done yet. There's a much more important and better stage. As strange as that sounds. It's intimacy just to know the Father. There is nothing more valuable than knowing the Father. That's what this, that's the point. There's nothing more valuable. So right in between, and I know it's not chronologically right, and he knew it too, so why is it there? Right in between the, the stage of childhood and the stage of youth is the Father. Why? Because it's the, it is imperative That those who know their God, that those who walk intimately with their God, begin to shine like a light to those who either have just come to know Him or are just learning about their power so that they always understand that yes, I am forgiven and free, but there's more. I can become an overcomer. And yes, I am an overcomer with power, but there's more. I can know Him who is from the beginning. And then I can become a father or a mother who turns to the heart of someone else and begins to show this love and this light to someone else and love and encourage someone else and help bring someone else along. Do you notice how all of this kind of did? Because you can't do that without love, folks. Can't. You won't. 
You won't. You'll get frustrated. You'll get impatient. You'll give up. You won't do it without love. I don't drive a stick shift today because of impatience. I've scared two people out of teaching me to drive a stick shift in my lifetime. Wasn't that I didn't have a desire. I mean, I started. I started to learn. And they, they thought they loved me. Both of them did. They thought they loved me. They thought they cared. But I found out they cared more about their lives than they did about that stick shift driving. All it took was a hill. A couple of times on a hill, and that's it. Nope. I think you better stick to a standard. I've stuck to a standard all my life. Don't need to drive one anymore. I know I've just, there's plenty of standards out there. Automatic, whatever. But it's going to be like that. It's going to take some love and patience to stick with this growth process. But can I tell you something? It is really worth it. There is nothing more beautiful than to watch the Holy Spirit transform somebody's life that you've loved enough to invest in. And you may not feel like you've done that much, and that's good. You probably shouldn't feel like, oh, we don't. it's not all because of you, it's all because of Him. But yet, it is a beautiful thing. To be honest with you, the most rewarding moments in my life are when I see on those rare occasions somebody that I loved and gave anything to begin to be healed, encouraged, grow, or change. Oh, I want more of that. If you want to know what I want as pastor of this church, I want more of that. The rest of it's great. I'm all for the rest of it. But if we could have altars full of people all the time who are just receiving healing and growing and transforming and finding life and freedom and forgiveness and peace where they didn't think they'd ever find any because somebody in this room, maybe not me, but somebody in this room has loved them enough to pray for them and encourage them and lift them up, never give up on them and never, you know, no matter how frustrating sometimes. Listen, I can be, ask my wife, I can be frustrating. You can be frustrating. Man, if God can find some fathers, if God can find some spiritual moms who will just live this life and love the people he put in it, no matter what, we love them. God can do some tremendous things. And we can see people growing from childhood to youth to father and motherhood. When that happens, what were we talking about? What did we start with? Our spiritual health? Do you know what the signs of a healthy church are? All three stages, always. Children, youth, fathers. Children, youth, fathers. Fathers dealing with children and youth, and those children and youth becoming youth and fathers. Children, youth, fathers. Always going through the stage. It's not about numbers. It's not about buildings. It's, it's about these stages. Do you always have people growing in all of these stages? And do you always have people as they get to the next stage, reaching towards that next stage, so that they can one day become a spiritual father and mother to bless someone else and bring them into the kingdom and then help them grow? When that's happening, we are a healthy church. Until that starts happening, it doesn't matter if we run two million a Sunday. I know that's outlandish. I understand. I said it for that reason. Wouldn't matter. We're still not a healthy church. That's why this is in here. I encourage you today, wherever you're at in your relationships, the health of your relationship with God is directly gauged by how you love others. And if we don't learn that, we begin to become spiritually blind. And if we become spiritually blind, we begin to go all different directions and not know where we're going. And if we begin to cast off restraint and miss what God has for us, we won't experience the end result, at least not in this life, that God has for us. So I encourage you, let bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness go and walk in the light as He is in the light. And whatever stage you're in, 
Be thankful for the stage that you're in. But grow. And if you want to know how to grow, find a spiritual father or mother. Somebody who's example. In that example, you see intimacy with God. Power will be there too, and power is wonderful. But don't be enamored with power. Look for intimacy. And then watch God do a deep work within your life. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful for time spent in your presence. We're grateful for your word, and it doesn't return to us empty, so we're thankful today. Lord God, for what you've done and what you're doing. Lord, you know everybody in this room today. You know where each of us is at, both in the stages of our life and in our walk with you. And Father God, wherever we're at, I pray that no one would be discouraged. But Father, we would take that place. Lord, if we're just young in the Lord, we're grateful, God, that we're forgiven. Thank you, God, that we're forgiven. That the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. But God, I also pray in Jesus' name that you would help us, God, Lord, to to begin to look for spiritual fathers and mothers and get into the Word of God so that we could become overcomers and then move from that into being intimate with you ourself. Father God, so that we can lead others in and mentor others and come alongside others in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to help. And Father God, if there's unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, hatred in our lives toward anyone for any reason, God, I pray today that you would, by the power of your Spirit, show it to us. Just so we can be free. Let that go. Allow your love to minister to it so that we could love again. So that our faith would work the way you designed it to. And God, I pray for that today in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, first of all in this room, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know him, that's where real love begins. He is the only source of real supernatural love. If you don't know him, you can know him today before you leave this room. If you've never given your heart to Jesus and you want to do that right now, would you lift your hand anywhere in this room? Is there anybody like that? And then as Christians in this room, felt very strongly. Actually, even though I was in 1 John, I was going to go another direction this morning. And the Holy Spirit just kind of pulled me back to this and even refined a little bit of what I was going to focus on today. That's always because somebody in the room is dealing with it or that wouldn't happen. Somebody in this room today, you've lost your vision and you don't even know you lost it. You don't know which way you're going because everything's dark and you don't even know it's dark. It's become so familiar that you recognize it as normal. And the reason is because of offense, resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness. It's begun to build a stronghold, and the enemy's desire was not about whatever caused it. That was inconsequential, whatever it was. The desire is to get you off course. Desire is to have you bouncing around here, there, and everywhere. But off course, just the same. Your faith not working the way God designed it to because love has taken the back seat. And this message I believe today is to you because Jesus loves you too much to let that continue. He wants you free of that. So I challenge you, if you've allowed that stronghold to build in your mind, allow the Holy Spirit just to take it down right now in Jesus' name. If you need to let Him have that right where you are, Just begin to let him have it. Just tell him, God, you forgave me. Jesus, you forgave me. You forgive me. Lord, you knew everything I would ever do when you called me. And in spite of all of my failures, all of my mistakes, and all of my sins, Jesus, you gave your life for me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. You forgave me anyway. God, help me to forgive. And I choose to forgive right now. By faith in the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive. I choose to release and I choose to bless and pray for blessing over whoever that is. And you name them there. Lord, I thank you right now for tearing down this stronghold of offense. God, allowing my spiritual vision and focus to return in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We receive freedom. Now, if you're in this room and 
You're a spiritual father or mother. You, you've come to a place, not that you would say, I've got it all together. We never get to that place. But you've come to a place where you know that you're walking in a place of intimacy with God. If you're a spiritual father or mother, you need to understand this. That's not all there is either. He wants you now to turn to the children. He wants you now to turn your attention to the youth. When I say youth, I'm meaning those who are young, beginning to grow in God, no matter what their chronological age. He wants you to turn to them and begin to mentor them and love them and encourage them and pray for them and lift them up. Provide an example of consistency and faithfulness and intimacy and love that they can see and grow by. If you're at the stage of being a child, thank God your sins are forgiven, but hunger for more. Find a spiritual father or mother. That don't mean that you've got to have lunch with them every day. What it means is that you've got to see somebody that you can look at and say, I see how they're following Jesus. I see how they're loving Jesus. And I'm hungry for that intimacy. And I'm going to find out. I'm going to walk close. I'm going to see what they're doing. And I'm going to follow after God. And I'm going to let them be an encouragement to me. Even if you're young and you're in the Word of God and you're growing and you're overcoming, don't decide that that's all there is. There's still another place. And that's intimacy with the Father. Grow. Grow. Wherever you're at, don't stop. Allow the Holy Spirit to keep moving in your life. I'm going to challenge you. If God spoke to you about either one of those two things, would you lift up both hands toward heaven right now, right where you're at? Father, in the name of Jesus, at this moment, we speak encouragement over each heart and each life. Father God, I thank you for those who are coming free from offense and bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred and anger. Father God, we thank you there's freedom in you. That you give us the supernatural power and ability to love. And Father, we ask for your supernatural love. We thank you it's shed abroad in our human hearts and through Christ Jesus. And I just thank you they have an ability that's beyond them to love. And I thank you they tap into that. And Lord, in that they find freedom and growth. And Father God, wherever we find ourselves in the seasons of our spiritual walk, I thank you God that our desire would be for more of you more of you not more power not more this or more that but more of you more of you and Father God I just thank you God that wherever we find ourselves that you would show us not only the way to grow but the way to help others grow around us and help us be a healthy Christian and a healthy church in Jesus name we pray amen amen we love you today if you need prayer for anything at all we'll be around as long as you need us to be Otherwise, we're going to let you go. Don't forget Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. Sweet goods back there, baked goods. If you want to give a donation to the youth group, take them home with you. Don't forget about those. Be blessed. Go in the grace of God.